Man, it is really good to see the Baumans over there with their brand new daughter that they've just adopted from Colombia. This is Samantha over here. I'm sure it's all overwhelming to her, so we won't make her stand up or anything, but it is really an answer of prayer to have you guys all with us today. So that is awesome. Today we continue in our series that we're calling Blueprint, and we've been thinking about a biblical model for the church, and when we do that, there's a lot that comes to mind that sort of we're responsible to do, and, and one of the things is actually to, to read the Bible, right? It seems obvious, but if we want a biblical model for anything, whether we're thinking about our lives or marriage or parenting or any part of life, we've got to actually study what Scripture has to say, and part of what that means is going to a document that is 2,000 years old, right? And thinking about what it actually says and then transferring that over to, okay, what is our culture like and how does this ancient document given to us by God speak into 21st century life? So that's really what we're always doing when we study scripture, but especially when we say, okay, here's a biblical model for church. How does what Paul says speak to us the 21st century church. How does that apply to us? What does it mean for how we understand how the church came to be and, and what can change about church? What should always stay the same about church? And so we've been studying the book of Ephesians. That is a letter from Paul to probably several churches in the ancient world, sort of a handbook for early church life. And, and we've been looking at what he has to say to us. Now, today, as we think about uh, some important topics that relate to the life of the church, we're reminded that part of interpreting Scripture is how we use language, right? So what Paul had to say was very carefully done. We, we're, we're understanding the church in terms of language that was spoken a long time ago. But then we have to think about how do we use that language today? And the way we use the language affects how people understand who Jesus is, and who we are as the church and how they could get involved in the life of Christ in the world today and in the church. And sometimes we use language in sort of different ways than the culture does, right? We use words in church that maybe people in our wider culture don't always use, or we use words in a different way than we would maybe at work or even at home. Think about it, like the word fellowship. Now there's a word that we use in church, perfectly good biblical word, but the truth is we don't talk a lot about fellowship outside of church. And in fact, it sounds a little strange, I think, to some people when they think about fellowship. What does that mean for church life? Like we got, we got a whole room in there, pretty new room that we haven't been able to use very much lately, right? And it's called a fellowship hall. And we think, okay, what, what, is, that, what is that all about? People in the wider culture just may not really get that. Sometimes we call rooms in a church by different names than the rest of the world would. The room behind you, I would call a foyer. In fact, I think most of us do in some churches. And in fact, one church I serve, they would call that room a narthex. Okay. Now, when I hear the word narthex, it sounds like a disease to me, right? Like you need to go get a vaccination against narthex so you don't have to deal with it. But that is a what some churches would call that room, and that's okay. Sometimes we call this room, people will call this room the sanctuary. And I think when people in the wider cult culture hear that word, it's like that's a place you go for safety, to get away from something. And, and we just call it the worship center because 
That's what we do in this room. So sometimes if we use words in a different way, people don't understand. Churches will sometimes call people brother and sister. And in fact, in the New Testament, we see that at work. Like in that time, if you decided to become a Christian, oftentimes your family would disown you. So they don't have anything to do with you. So your new family after you follow Jesus was the church. And so they thought about God as their father and they thought about each other as brothers and sisters. And so they would call each other that. And sometimes people in our culture think, well, that sounds, that sounds a little weird, right? That sounds almost like if we're not careful, like a cult. And that's not what's meant by it. It's just meant, hey, we, we really do care. We're like family here. So we have to think about how we use words. One more word that I want us to think about in detail today is the word witness. Now, if you hear that word out in the wider culture, it's usually used as a noun, right? It is someone who observed something they saw and heard something happen. Oftentimes in a courtroom setting, a witness is called and they are asked to describe what they saw, what they heard in terms of this crime that's been committed, okay? If we witness something, then we have seen it. We saw it happen, and then we can give our testimony as to what happened. Now, the problem is when it's used in sort of religious circles, man, people in the world think, I don't want anything to do with that because when I hear someone like a Christian say they're going to witness to me, what I usually think of is like they buttonholed me, I'm in a corner, and they're going to tell me about Jesus whether I want to hear or not. And when we go at it that way, a lot of times what happens is They'll just say, yeah, I believe whatever you believe just to get us to stop talking. And so that word has a pretty negative connotation. And what I want us to think about today is, what did it mean for the early church? And not so much just to make us use that word, but to think about a proper understanding of ourselves as witnesses. Now to get at that, we're going to turn to the beginning of Ephesians chapter 3, And in Ephesians 3, we see several streams of thought that we've been working through over the past few weeks come together. We've been talking about the very nature of Jesus, who Jesus is, and how he changes things. We're going to think about that today. We've been thinking about our role as as people who bear the image of God so that people can see God because they've, they've seen us at work, how we are created in God's image, and then we show people who God is. We're going to think a little bit about that. And then how the church is a part of that and how we're called to be unified because we have a specific mission. All that comes together at the beginning of chapter 3 and Paul begins talking and then it's like he interrupts himself. Okay, So this is what he says right here in Ephesians 3 verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. And when he says you Gentiles, it's like he thinks of some other stuff he wants to say. So he interrupts his thought all the way from verse 2 down to verse 13. We're not going to read all that, but this is how he continues in verse 2. Surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace. Interesting phrase. The administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known by the revelation, as I have already written briefly. Now what Paul's saying, he's saying this, listen, I was given a job to do. I was called to administer God's grace. 
Now what that means is Paul has been called to share the message of Jesus. It's not as though Paul's got God's grace and he can, he can sort of give it to this person and withhold it from the other person. It's just that he's been given the job of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what he's all about. Okay, And he says in some ways it's a mystery. And when we hear that, we go, what's so mysterious? What is mysterious about God's grace? Now, We've hinted at this at least once in this series that Paul is not so much saying this is mysterious as he is saying, listen, it was secret, it was hidden, and now it has been revealed. Okay, Not everyone knew about this, but now God's made sure everyone has access. He explains that down in verse 6. This is the mystery. All right, Here here it is. He's going to lay it out. This is the mystery that through the gospel, gospel just means good news. He's talking about the story of Jesus. Through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. A whole lot going on in that one verse. Paul says, okay, here's here's the story. From the very beginning, God had a plan. And in fact, we see in the Old Testament several passages that say that through the people of Israel, all nations would be blessed. And for a long time, the fulfillment of that promise was hidden. It was secret. How would that actually happen? How are all nations going to be blessed through Israel? Well, it's Jesus. Jesus is a Jew. He's in the line of David, the royal line. And through Jesus all people then would be blessed. Okay? All people have an opportunity to come into a relationship with God. Paul uses three phrases. He says they are co-heirs. They are members together. They are sharers together. We have all this in common. Now the point is, the earliest Christians, almost all Jewish, earliest leaders of the church, all Jewish, Jesus Jewish, but, but through them and through all this process, of the gospel growing, people began to hear. Paul began to share. And they recognized that this message was for more than one small group. And in fact, it didn't matter whether you were Jew or Gentile. It didn't matter if what your last name was, what language you spoke, what religious traditions you grew up with. Everyone came to God and had the same inheritance, eternal life. Shared together in one body, the body of Christ. Okay, we we all share that together. Last week we talked about coming to God at the foot of the cross and we come on equal footing when we are there. Skip down to verse 8. Paul talks a little bit more about himself. And although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people. Now when he says that, what Paul is saying is, listen, I know my background. I know who I was. I know there was a time because I was so zealous for what I believed was right that I would go and look for people who were Jews and had become Christians and I would arrest them, haul them back to Jerusalem to be tried, some of them even to be killed. Paul says, that was was me. That was who I was. But God was at work. And God changed me and gave me a new mission. Although I am, the, I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, the most undeserving, this grace was given to me. Here it is. To preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, 
which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. What Paul says is, I saw God at work. And this is where we come back to our word today, the word witness. Paul was a witness of what God could do. He was, it was revealed to him especially uh, the story of Jesus. I mean, he got that in a miraculous way. But alongside that, Paul also saw what the grace of Jesus Christ could do to change a life, his own life. He saw where he was, someone who was arresting Christians so that they could be killed, to becoming a person who was ready to share the message of Jesus with anyone who would listen. Jews and Gentiles, sharing it beyond what were the earliest boundaries of the church so that everyone could know that they could have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Paul was a witness. He saw what God could do. And so he shared his testimony. You see, that's what a witness does, right? They see something happen and then they are called on to share their testimony, share what they saw. And so Paul had the opportunity to go throughout the Roman Empire and share what he had seen. God at work in Christ, God at work in himself. But that mission was not limited to Paul. Verse 10. His intent was that now, through the church, not just through Paul, but through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's not just Paul. It's not just the early apostles. Paul says, through the church. The church then, the church now, we make known what has happened through Jesus. We have a witness. We have a testimony. We are witnesses to what God has been doing. <clears throat> we've seen it at work in the stories of Jesus, but we've also seen it at work in our own lives. We have seen how relationships are healed through the power of Jesus Christ. We see how marriages are brought back together. We see how parents and children, that relationship is healed. Friends come back together. All these things because of the power of Jesus. We see how addictions are overcome. We see how God provides strength and weakness. We have seen God at work. And so, because of that, we become witnesses. We have testimony to share. We might say it this way. God chose the church to be his witness. God has chosen the church to share the message of Jesus. You might say, hang on. You said at the beginning that witnessing has some negative connotations. And it does in our culture. And again, I'm not so concerned that we use this word all the time. What I'm concerned is that we recognize that we have been chosen. If we want to think about a blueprint for the life of the church, part of what it means to be the church is that we have seen the power of God at work. We are witnesses of God's power. And so now we have a responsibility to share what we have seen. So how do we do that in an effective way? If the culture says, and we're a little bit worried when somebody talks about witnessing, what does that mean for us? 
Well, what I know is that I know one thing that doesn't work. One thing that doesn't work is seeing people as conquest. Like we're in there, we're going we're gonna to lead them to Jesus and that's going to be one more notch in my belt of what I've accomplished and, and that's not what it's about because people don't want to be seen as conquest. They don't want to be conquered by us. That doesn't work. So we've got to develop a different approach. You know, when we look back to New Testament times, what Paul do? If we look in the book of Acts, Paul would go into a town and he would just start preaching. Well, my guess is if we just stand on the street corner and start preaching, we are not going to be very effective in being a great witness and sharing what we have seen with the people around us. We've got to take on a different tactic because we live in a different time. And you see, our goal is that we know that the power of Jesus Christ can change lives. It can make those lives different and better. It can change eternity for people. And into such powerfully good news that we want to share it, but we've got to do it in the right way. So three things that I think are important for us as we think about how we as witnesses share what we have seen in Jesus. The first is, well, it's pretty simple. We can't be weird. Like, we can't be weird. We can't, like, you know, you hear those stories. I was on an airplane. Well, I'm never on an airplane, so I don't have those stories. But, like, I just, I told this person all about, well, you know what? They probably were not looking to hear it in that moment. And when we think that the best way to share what we have seen at work in Jesus Christ is, like, to corner somebody, buttonhole them, and, like, they're going to hear it whether they want it or not, probably doing more harm than good. We just can't be weird about it. It's probably going to happen in the context of healthy relationships where people see, you know, man, God is at work in her life or his life in a way that I'd like to know more about. And when we do that in a healthy way, it's not weird. And we're going to be more effective. And it allows us to talk about what God is doing. And that's really the second thing, to share what God is doing. It's not so much about me as it is how God has changed my life. How God has changed who I am. That's really the key, isn't it? That God is at work. And when we can talk about how God really helped me in my marriage, helped me be a better wife, husband, helped me to be a better parent or grandparent, Help me to be a, a better child to a parent who was hurting, struggling, suffering, sick, all those things. When we can talk about what God has done, and that's the beginning of the real conversation. And then we can talk about what God could do, how God can bring healing, how God does give us hope in a way that the world just never really can. And then third, we invite people to worship. You know, worship changes lives. Worship transforms us because in worship, when we come in this room, we say, there is something more important than me. There is something more powerful at work in the world than me. And we are submitting ourselves. We're saying, you know what? I'm going to let God be at work here. And we tell stories in this room. We tell stories from Scripture about how God is at work. We tell stories from our own lives sometimes about how God is at work. We're going to gather around this table in a few minutes, 
and we're going to take communion. And communion is all about saying God has been at work in powerful ways in this world. Sometimes we talk about that personally, but we always talk about how God is at work in the cross. And how the cross changes life, changes history, changes eternity. God chose the church, chose us from the very beginning to be his witness. Because we've seen what God can do. And we have the opportunity to tell the story. You know, my guess is, each one of us, if we thought for just a minute, we could think of someone who needs the transforming power of God at work. And if you're watching online, maybe you could even put in the comments just the initials of someone that you know. There's just a point to an opportunity for prayer. And that's the way I want us to finish this part of our service today. To have prayer. To, to get that person in mind that needs to know that God is at work in this life and in, and in eternity. And He really does change things. And that we have been called to share those stories of how God is at work. Let's pray together. We're honored at the opportunity and the responsibility of being witnesses of, of what you've done. And we've seen it. And God, we pray today that you'll help us to share what you've done in our lives and what we've seen you do in the lives of others. And even as we've thought about people that we love who, man, it would be so awesome to see them put their faith in Jesus. It would be so awesome to see them come up out of a baptistry knowing that you're at work in their lives too and that they're going to spend eternity with you. We pray that you will help us to be the kind of people who develop relationships that are real and genuine that allow us to speak of Jesus. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and we'll continue to worship.